Hi, I'm Rob Buckingham and welcome to episode 31 and a brand new year of Digging Deeper. This is a weekly podcast that takes a deep dive into a theme or subject and explores what the Bible has to say about it. Romans 9 is a difficult chapter to grasp. Some people have interpreted it to mean that God deliberately prepares some people for salvation, while others he prepares for destruction or eternal hell. But is this a fair understanding of Paul's writing? And if so, what does this say about God's nature? Let's find out. Last week, we looked at the movie Come Sunday, which tells the story of Bishop Carlton Pearson and the Pentecostal uh, fundamentalist evangelical pastor who heard from God and uh, that everybody is saved, and he became a universalist. So I talked about that last week. You can catch up with that either on Facebook or YouTube or the podcast uh, of Digging Deeper. But uh, we looked at universalism and I want to con- kind of continue that theme. Uh, we're going we're gonna to explore salvation and is it just for some people and what about the people who follow other religions? Are they served too, saved as well? What about the people that never hear the gospel? They've never heard about Jesus. Is God going to condemn them to hell forever for not, accepting a person that they'd never heard of. And then the question I'm going to start with is what about Romans chapter 9? Some highlights from Romans 9 where God is saying, Jacob I loved but Esau I hated. Therefore God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy and he hardens whom he wants to harden. And then Paul asks this other question, what if God, although choosing to show his wrath or his anger and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath or wrath, prepared for destruction and uses the example of Pharaoh where Paul says God hardened Pharaoh's heart so he might be able to show his glory. Uh, his power through the plagues. So on first read, on, on, on a casual literal reading of Romans 9, it looks concerning. And so that's the question that I've received. Hi, Pastor Rob, I would like some discussion around Romans 9 verses 12 to 22 as I have an issue with coming to terms with it with close family who are unsaved. In fact, they're members of another faith. Having read this scripture on multiple occasions, I get the impression that for some there is no hope of salvation as God has already chosen some for eternal destruction. Is this correct? As I do not believe God is like that. So would uh, so would uh, like you to unpack this if you could, as I would like to believe this is my misinterpretation purely and not God's nature. And so great question, and I really thank you for that. And let me say up front, I completely agree with you. Uh, I don't believe that God is like that either. 
I don't believe that salvation is just for a select few. And we'll investigate that a little bit later when we get into the next question. Uh, and and I've, I've got a, a, a whole stack of Bible verses. I won't read them all to you, but I've got five A4 pages of typed Bible verses that I put together. And this is by no means an exhaustive list of Scripture, but they're the verses I've found so far that talk about salvation being available to everybody. And so back to that question, does God predestine or doom some people for destruction as is inferred by Romans chapter 9? It really is an awful thought, isn't it, that God would actually create some people for the very purpose of tormenting them and torturing them for all eternity, that he creates these people, he sticks them in hell, they are there because they didn't accept Jesus as their Lord and Saviour, but neither were they able to. And so God sticks them in there and you can't question him because he's God and you're not. He's the potter, you're the clay, who are you? And those people are going to be burned and tormented and tortured for all of eternity without ever the possibility of that ending. If you're anything like me, you start to think, oh my goodness, if this is really the God as revealed in Scripture, then do I really want to know him? Because he's loving, but you don't want to get on the wrong side of him. Incidentally, what I've just described is reformed theology. That's what it's called. And there are reformed theologians. I watched part of a YouTube clip this afternoon of a reformed theologian who was talking about this and said, yep, that's exactly what the Bible teaches. God creates some people out so he can express his anger so he can damn them forever and torment them in hell. My suggestion is reformed theology could do with a reformation, but I might touch on that another night. The belief that God dooms some people for hell comes from what I believe to be a misinterpretation of Romans chapter 9, which has been the subject of some controversy over the centuries. John Calvin and his followers used Romans 9 as proof of God's predestining or dooming some people for heaven and some for hell um, before they're even born. So while they were still in the mother's womb, God looked at them and said, right, you're, you're going to heaven and you're going to hell, and that's your eternal destination. According to the Catholic Encyclopedia, Calvin taught, and I quote, God for his own glorification and without any regard to original sin has created some as vessels of mercy, others as vessels of wrath. Those created for hell, he is also predestined for sin, and whatever faith and righteousness they may exhibit, are at most only apparent since all graces and means of salvation are efficacious only for those predestined for heaven. Um, In other words, it just doesn't work in the damned, even if they wanted to be saved and even if they had faith in God, it wouldn't work for them because they've been predestined for hell. It is an awful, awful teaching. Uh, I believe it's a heresy 
And this heresy predates Calvin. In fact, the doctrine that God predestined some people for heaven and some for hell originated with Augustine in the fourth century during what is known as the Pelagian Controversy. And uh, so it was announced or denounced as a heresy uh, by the church in the first centuries. But that is not what Paul is teaching here in uh, Romans chapter 9, and I'm I'm sure you'll be glad to know that. In fact, here in Romans chapter 9, he's using three illustrations. And the first one, his illustration, is God loves Jacob and hates Esau. The second illustration is the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. And the third illustration is about clay in the hands of God. So before we unpack those three things, I thought it might be useful uh, for me just to read these verses to you. And feel free, if you've got a Bible or a Bible on your phone or iPad, then you could turn to Romans chapter 9 and we're going to pick it up at verse 13. And uh, then I'll teach into that and show you the context of what Paul is saying, because it's really important that we remember that these are a few verses from one whole letter. And so we must take the whole context of this and not rip a few verses out of context and make them mean something that the Apostle Paul never meant them, never meant them to mean. So Romans chapter 9, we're going to pick it up at verse 13. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For Scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. One of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us? For who are we able to resist his will? But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay, some pottery for special purposes and some for common use. What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath prepared for destruction? Notice that last thing's a question. What if God did this? doesn't say he did it. And he said, what if God were to behave in that way. So let's unpack this, shall we? And the first illustration that Paul uses is that God loves Jacob and hates Esau. Now, there's a couple of things I'll mention here. First of all, the word translated as hate here is probably not the best translation. Remember, the one Hebrew word does not always equal one English word. One Greek word doesn't always equal one English word. And so translating this word uh, from Greek into the English word hate is probably not the best translation. The word literally means to love less or to put in second place. Uh, Love infers a positive relationship, whereas hate indicates a lack of relationship. So it doesn't mean here that um, God loved Jacob 
and he hated Esau, what it means is he put Esau in second place for a particular reason, and we'll get to that in just a moment. Jesus used a similar statement in Luke chapter 14 and verse 26. He said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Now, again, cults uh, often will use this to uh, isolate the new convert into their cult. Uh, One of the signs of a cult is that they will then say to the new convert, you need to cut ties with your friends, your family, etc. Just, you know, write to them a final time, say you're fine, you've discovered God, uh, blah, 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 and now cut off communication. Of course, in the cult leader's mind, it's all about isolating and mind control and brainwashing in order to keep that person involved in the cult. But they'll often use this verse. And, you know, the Word of God is powerful even when it's misused or misquoted because it is the Word of God. And so people go, well, that's what God says, therefore I I better do this, even though it's a misinterpretation of the Scripture. So what Jesus is saying here is if you genuinely want to be a follower of mine, if you want to be my disciple, you need to make sure everything is in second place and come and follow me. Make, Make sure that following Jesus is your first priority that's what Jesus is saying here. And and everything else looks like you love them less. Of course, I found that when you love God, you actually end up loving a whole lot more than you would if you didn't have God's love in your heart and in your life. And so the Message Bible actually interprets that or translates that, that scripture from Luke 14, 26. It says, anyone who comes to me but refuses to let go of father, mother, spouse, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even one's own self can't be my disciple. And so what Jesus is talking about here is actually priorities. And and, and so and that's what um, Paul is talking about too, the priority of Jacob over Esau. And so that's the second thing I want to mention here. God's choice of Jacob had nothing to do with salvation, but rather with who would be the father of the nation of Israel. This honour, of course, first belonged to Esau, but if you read the story in Genesis chapter 25, Esau had been out working, he comes in, uh, his brother Jacob was a good cook, this beautiful stew was bubbling away, and Esau said, give me some of that food, and Jacob said, "Uh, no, he said, but I'll sell you a bowl of this for your birthright, and Esau gives into that. So Esau was supposed to be the leader of Israel, but he allowed his uh, his physical appetites to overcome the blessing of God in his life. And of course, he paid uh, for that. He says, it says in the Bible that Esau despised his birthright because he chose short-term satisfaction over long-term blessing. The author of Hebrews describes Esau as a godless person, and I quote, this is from Hebrews 12, verses 16 and 17, uh, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the eldest or as the oldest son. Afterwards, as you know, when he wanted to inherit his bl- this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. He had to reap the consequences of his action. 
And so Romans 9 is not teaching about salvation. It's rather speaking about the nations that resulted from Jacob and Esau. God has chosen people for greater or lesser degrees of service, often based on their willingness, their choices, and their behaviour. And that's what Paul is talking about here. He's addressing service, not salvation. It's all about priorities. God exalted Israel above the nations because God placed a responsibility on Israel to father the Messiah. And the Messiah was then to be a blessing to all the nations. These verses here are not about leaving people out and it's certainly not about predestining some people so that God could display his anger and his power and damn them to hell forever. It's not about that at all. Let's have a look at the second example here, and this is the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. And this is really interesting because on the surface, it looks like God is is like kind of tinkering. And he's like, oh, well, you know, I've got a few plagues lined up here and I really want to dump these on, on, on Egypt. But I know that Pharaoh's going to give in to this pretty quickly and I've got a whole more, uh, I've got 10 plagues. We want, to, we want to see these whole 10 plagues executed. So I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart so that he won't let the people go. That's not how it happened. In fact, the word hardening here, again, not a great translation. It's actually a symbolic word, which means to twist. I wonder, you got a dishcloth. Uh, we have a dishcloth that, that fortunately gets washed on a fairly regular basis. I've been to places where I don't think they wash their dishcloth very often because the thing stinks. And and if you wring out the dishcloth, you see what is in the cloth, right? If it's if it's fairly clean, then relatively clean water will come out, often with a bit of detergent. But of course, if it's if it's got a lot of dirt in it and it hasn't been cleaned, when you wring it out, you actually see the contents. And that's what this word that's translated as hardening, it literally means to twist like you would wring out a cloth. When you wring out the cloth, you find out what's in it. And so through these 10 plagues that God executed uh, uh, upon Egypt, it was like God was twisting Pharaoh's heart to squeeze out what was inside because God wanted to reveal, not to himself because he already knew, he wanted out of his love, I believe, and his grace, he wanted Pharaoh to know what the condition of his heart was like. And so to twist, to wring out so that you can see the contents. God didn't harden his heart so that Pharaoh would disobey and thus go to hell. God used the plagues to show Pharaoh what was already in his heart. Then we get to the third illustration of Paul in Romans 9, and that is clay in the hands of God. And Paul is quoting here from Isaiah chapters 29 and 45, as well as Jeremiah uh, chapter 18. And it says, does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common or everyday use? It's a rhetorical question. The, The answer, of course, is yes. The potter has the power, the right, to make out of his clay whatever he wants. If he wants to make some special purpose pots, then he can do so. If he can make other dishes for everyday use, then then that's a choice that the potter can make. And so once again, the, the apostle here is speaking about serving 
God. He's not talking about salvation. God does not create some people so that he can damn them to an eternal hell. If that were true, he'd actually be contradicting his nature as well as the entire intent of the gospel that is very uh, clearly for all people, and we'll look at that in more detail in a moment. Why would Jesus die for everyone if everyone could not access salvation? God would actually be teasing people. And again, if that were the case, then God would be less than kind, less than loving. Paul uses the same illustration about utensils in his final letter to Timothy, the last letter he ever wrote just before he was executed in prison. 2 Timothy 2 verses 20 and 21, Paul says, In a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. The apostle then finishes Romans 9 by quoting from Isaiah 8, 14 and also Isaiah 28 and verse 16. And uh, I want to read this to you because it's really interesting. As it is written, see I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. And and that's kind of his summary here of chapter 9 before we go into chapter 10, which of course is a continuation uh, of, of his teaching. So what is he saying here? Let me give you a little bit of background on this verse. Zion was a hill in Jerusalem that lay opposite Mount Moriah. Today it's called the Temple Mount and uh, it's, it's the mount in Jerusalem where the temple stood. On Zion was built the palace of David and the seat of justice. Sometimes Zion was applied to the whole city of Jerusalem as well as the Jewish people. Paul uses this symbolic language of a foundation stone that God would lay from and for the Jewish people a rock of salvation for all. But to many Jews, it became a stumbling block because they wanted to be right with God by obeying the law rather than by trusting God's Messiah. Paul continues the same theme then from chapter 9 into what we call chapter 10 of how Israel came to miss salvation largely in the first century while the Gentiles found it. The Jews are zealous for righteousness, says Paul, but their zeal is misguided. They're trying to be right with God by obeying the entire law, and that is impossible. And so Paul says it's not that hard because Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. And so Christ is the end of the law so that there might be righteousness for everyone. I want you to notice that word, everyone, everyone who believes. Being right with God is not impossible like trying to get up to heaven to bring Jesus down, this is all Romans 10, or to bring Jesus back from the dead. God has already done this for us by his power. Salvation is simple, accessible, and available. Remember, he says, you know, the word is near you. It's even in your mouth. And so so this is accessible, he says. This salvation is accessible just like the words that you speak. Being right with God is achieved by declaring Jesus to be Lord. 
words that flow out of a heart that believes God has done the impossible by raising Jesus from the dead. Paul uses the word everyone twice in Romans 10 to declare that the gospel is not just limited to some people. And so the summary here is this, God doesn't make some people to be objects of wrath, to be eternally tortured. Everyone, everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We hope you're enjoying this Digging Deeper podcast and that it helps you with your understanding of the Bible and how it applies to life. If you're finding it helpful, please let others know about it. One way to do this is by rating and reviewing the podcast on iTunes. That goes a long way to help other people find us. And please like us on Facebook. Now back to Rob. I have been listening with great interest to your podcast. Thank you so much. They're referring to the Digging Deeper podcast. I'm loving the exploration of different tricky topics and learning a lot. I'm hoping you might be able to teach into something that I've been thinking about recently. After listening to you and also to Shane Willard's teaching on hell, it has led me to think about the place of other religions. I've always believed that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And if he was the way, then other religions must be on the wrong path. But are we as Christians excluding millions of people from eternal life with God because they have not accepted Jesus? And then a number of really good questions here. Is the devout Muslim who has been brought up to think about God and faith in a particular way, just as we bring up our children to believe in certain things, are they out because that way doesn't involve Jesus? Is Jesus the way? but not the only way. Either you or Shane posed the question, and it was actually me, I think, if, God's, uh, if God says, I love you so much, so here is Jesus to die for you, but if you don't accept what Jesus did for you, then I'm going to send you to hell for eternity, is that really loving us so much? Uh, I feel increasingly uncomfortable with the thought that, sorry guys, you picked or were born into the wrong religion, so you are outside of God's love and plan for this world. And so I think there's some wonderful, wonderful things here. Um, and if I was to summarise this, it would be you've been brought up uh, Hindu, Muslim, Buddhist, and then a Christian comes along and tells you everything you've believed and, and been taught is wrong. God loves you, but if you don't love him back by accepting Jesus, he's going to torture you forever and ever without the possibility of that torture ever being able to come to an end. Let me say, I don't believe that. I think God is better than that. I think God is a whole lot better than that. And so I'm going to unpack this under a number of headings. And let's just see how far we get in this chat. And as I say, we can always keep this going next week. The first thing I want us to look at is the fact that salvation is available to all people. We've already looked at that with Romans chapter 9, that 
God and Romans chapter 10 that the salvation that is provided for us in Jesus is for everyone, everyone, everyone. And Romans 9 and 10 are not the only places. Uh, I've just spent a little bit of time in the last week putting this together. And what I've ended up with is almost five A4 pages of typing uh, of verses from the Bible that talk about salvation being for all people. And I think this is really, really important. By the way, these are the verses that people that believe universalism would use. Um, and, and look, hey, they're the Word of God, so I'm just going to read them to you. I'm not going to read all of them because there's too many. If you would like a copy of this, by the way, I'm happy to email it to you. You can either send me a private message on uh, Facebook Messenger or you can email me, connect at baysidechurch.com.au and uh, request the scriptures on universal salvation and I will send those to you. Uh, this is a work in progress. I'm sure there are more in the Bible and when I have a little bit more time, I'm going to I'm gonna dig a little bit deeper. And so uh, the first of them is 1 John 4.14 and also John 4.42 where Jesus says the Father has sent the Son as Saviour of the world the entire world. Uh, 1 Timothy 2, verses 3 to 6, God our Saviour wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, talking about Christians, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9, uh, it talks about Jesus, by the grace of God, tasting death for everyone. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 8, uh, the scriptures about or the verses about love, and Paul finishes his poem there by saying, Love never fails. Love never fails. Well, if God is love, then God never fails. And so God's love never fails. That being the case, then. Can he, with unfailing love, condemn individuals to an eternal hell without the possibility of that ever changing? 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10, the living God who is the saviour of all people. Uh, I love this one. Philippians chapter 2 verses 10 and 11. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. Now, understanding this with the first century understanding, they thought the earth was flat. Now, I do understand that there are people on this planet who still think the earth is flat. Uh, many of them would also believe that the moon landing was done in a television studio and probably a number of other conspiracies as well. But in the first century, that was their perspective. They thought that the earth was a flat disk. And quite honestly, if you stand anywhere on this planet and you look at the horizon, it looks like it curves around like a flat disk. And, uh, and so they believed that, that heaven was a dome and that heaven was above and that under the earth uh, was, was, it was flat and that the sun would rise in the east and set in the west and then it would grow legs and run under the earth and would pop up in the east to do its thing again. And you'll actually find that reflected in some of the Psalms uh, and I think maybe in Job as well. Some of the ancient parts of the Bible where it talks about the earth, the, the sun running to its place, uh, which I find is quite amusing. So here we find 
the Apostle Paul giving us this amazing revelation that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven, um, that's above the earth, those on the earth and those under the earth, that is those who are departed, who haven't gone to heaven. Look at this, that every tongue should confess. Now, the word gladly should be added in there as well because the tone of this in the original Greek is of rejoicing rather than coercion. So every tongue, the people above, on and under the earth, all of them will gladly confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. The word confess there in the Greek means to openly declare without reservation. So they're not being coerced, they're not being dragged, they're not reticent. They gladly want to openly declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Uh, If that's not universal salvation, (laughs) I don't know what is. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, select verses here, but God was pleased to have all fullness dwell in him, in Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things on earth or in heaven. Uh, In Luke 2, verse 10, the gospel is good news that will cause great joy for all the people. There's the Christmas story for you. In John 12, verse 32, Jesus said, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And so if you go on and read through the rest of that in John 12, uh, it's talking. He, he uh, talks about being lifted up in reference to his crucifixion. So his death was about drawing all people to himself. Now, the Greek word is helkuo, uh, which means to drag or to haul. So uh, he, he may just drag some people, might be a bit reticent, he's going to drag them to himself so that they can experience salvation in him. John chapter 1, verse 9, Jesus, the true light that gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Romans 5.18, consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. This is Romans. Uh, Paul is outlining the, the magnificence of the gospel in his letter to the Roman Christians. And I think everyone would agree that... Um, that the trespass of one person, that is the trespass of Adam. So just as one trespass resulted in condemnation, guilt for everybody, uh, I think every Christian would agree that um, the Christian message says that every person is, is sinful and as a result of being sinful is under condemnation and that all resulted from Adam's sin. Um, and so... Also, so if we agree with that, that everyone's under condemnation because of Adam's trespass, then the other must be true as well. Also, one act of righteousness, talking about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, resulted in justification for all people, justification and life. So justification means to be declared not guilty. 
So the courts of heaven declare all people not guilty and the gift of life is given to all people as a result of Jesus' death and resurrection. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, God is not willing that any should perish. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 22, very similar to the Romans verse, since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all died, so in Christ all shall be made alive. Uh, I'll just read a couple more to you. Hebrews 8, 11, no longer will they teach their neighbour or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. Titus 2.11, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Uh, Romans 12.17 tells us that we as human beings are not to repay evil for evil. That's because God doesn't repay evil for evil either. And so if we do evil, God is not going to pay us evil back. Um, uh, the Bible says that God's mercy endures forever. In 1 Chronicles 16 and verse 34, let me just give you one more, and this is a magnificent uh, picture here. This is Psalm 84 and verses 5, 6, and 7. How blessed is the man whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Passing through the valley of Barca, they make it a spring. The early rain also covers it with blessings. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them appears before God in Zion. And so Zion, remember, was Jerusalem or the mountain within Jerusalem on which David's palace was built. And this valley of Baca, B-A-C-A, or in some translations, B-A-K-A, was a ravine that was at the foot of Mount Zion in Jerusalem, and it's where children used to be sacrificed. They were burned as sacrificed. The Ammonites did this in the ancient world. They would burn child's, children as sacrifices to their god Molech. And so this Valley of Baca, there is another name for this. It's Gihinom or the Valley of Hinnom. And Gehenom became known by Jesus' time as Gehenna. So Gehenna then eventually symbolised the place of the wicked dead. It is sometimes interpreted as Hades or as hell. And so this typology, first of all, in the ancient world, children burned as sacrifices to this god Molech. And then by the time of Jesus, Gehenna symbolised the place of the wicked dead. Look at what the psalmist says here in this beautiful prophetic song. Uh, Blessed is the person whose strength is in God, in whose heart are the highways to Zion, passing through the valley of Gehenna, or the place of the wicked dead. What do they do? They make it a spring. They turn this valley into a spring. The early rain also covers it with blessings. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them appears before God in Zion. So even there in this magnificent prophetic song in, in, in Psalm 84, we find Gehenna, the place of the wicked dead, goes through this magnificent renewal. 
by the presence and the Spirit of God. I, I find that so encouraging and I, and I hope you do too. There's a whole lot of other scriptures uh, here. We don't really have time to go through them. Uh, I'm on a roll. couple more. Lamentations 3, the Lord will not cast off forever. He will show compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. So he's not going to cast people off forever but he's going to give compassion to people. Uh, 2 Samuel 14 and, uh, and, and verse 14, like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be recovered, so we must die. But that is not what God desires. He devises ways so that a banished person does not remain banished from him. Just think about that for a moment. 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse 14. Make a note of that. Have a read of it like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be recovered, so we must die, all of us. All, all of us are going to die, but that is not what God desires. Rather, He devises ways so that a banished person does not remain banished from Him. Wow. And then Romans eleven thirty two: For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that He may have mercy on them all and many, many more. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast. A new episode of Digging Deeper is uploaded every Wednesday. If you love this podcast, please let other people know about it and you can rate and review us on iTunes. That goes a long way to help others find us. If you have a question or topic that you'd like Rob to speak into, get in touch with us via Rob Buckingham's public figure page on Facebook. In next week's episode of Digging Deeper, Pastor Rob will continue with the answer to the question, what about people who never hear about Jesus or have been raised to believe in another faith? We hope you can join us then.